Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 47. Today, Halloween events in the city, and the MAGA bomber is captured. I am Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. Last week, I walked you through the history of the Guggenheim Museum to mark its 60th anniversary on October 21st. And this week, I wanted to point you towards a special podcast made by 99% Invisible, a design and architecture podcast that worked with the Guggenheim to produce a special audio walkthrough that talks about the history of the building and some of the architectural features of Frank Lloyd Wright's design. For instance, you may not have known that Frank Lloyd Wright initially intended for museum attendees to ride an elevator to the top of the building and experience the museum's exhibitions from top to bottom. Learn more about the Guggenheim at 99pi.org and listen to episode 375 of 99% Invisible while you tour the museum. A few more details this week on the observation deck at Hudson Yards that we talked about in episode 13 of the podcast. The deck is the glass triangle jutting off the southeast corner of 30 Hudson Yards that the surrounding neighborhood lovingly referred to as a bird beak. The observation deck is called New York Edge and will be the highest observation deck in the Western Hemisphere at 1,131 feet above street level, surpassing both the observation deck at One World Trade Center and the former Sears Tower in Chicago, but still falling short of overseas marvels like Shenzhen's Pinang International Finance Center's observation deck that is 700 feet higher. The most striking aspect in the Hudson Yards observation deck is the glass floor at the center of the triangle, offering a view straight down the side of 30 Hudson Yards. Walking to the tip of the triangle-shaped deck will offer views of the entire city, from the new skyscrapers lining Billionaire's Row, full view of the Empire State Building, and a look down the western side of Manhattan all the way to One World Trade Center. The deck won't open until March 2020, but tickets are already on sale at an introductory price of $36 per person for a specific time, or $56 per person for a daily pass. If you're a New York resident, you can receive a few dollars off the list price. Both prices are comparable to what you'll pay to rise above the city at One World Observatory or the Empire State Building's observation decks. Living with a view like that doesn't come without a hefty price tag either. In Property Shark's latest data, Hudson Yards ranked as the most expensive neighborhood, pushed to the top of the list by a slew of expensive new sales in the newly opened buildings. For the third quarter of 2019, Hudson Yards sailed past Tribeca to post a median sale price of $5 million, more than twice Tribeca's $2.4 million median price for the same time period. Since Property Shark's ranking of expensive neighborhoods is based on real estate transactions that closed during each quarter, neighborhoods can jump up the list quite dramatically, as was seen in this latest report when the Lower East Side made an appearance at number 8 on the list, jumping up 8 places after a number of units were sold at 250 South Street, a massive 72-story tower that grew along the waterfront at the base of the Manhattan Bridge. Sales during the third quarter in just that building alone had a median price of $1.6 million. When you're up on the new observation deck at Hudson Yards, 
bring a pair of binoculars and see if you can spot the new signage in Dumbo. The former glowing red watchtower sign that stood along the Brooklyn waterfront for nearly 50 years will now be replaced with a glowing red welcome sign. The architectural renderings show a slightly less ominous font than the watchtower sign, but the new welcome sign will still be displayed in bold letters and still feature the LED clock above the sign. The building was sold by the Jehovah's Witnesses for $340 million in 2016, and the new owners are redeveloping the site into a mixed-use complex named the Panorama, which will incorporate shopping and innovative outdoor public spaces. Interestingly, the website for the Panorama still features an earlier rendering of a replacement sign, where the word Panorama would have been spelled out in a similar font to the welcome sign, which will now be installed. The Rockefeller Center Ice Rink recently opened, and the Bryant Park Rink will open in Winter Village after Halloween, but you may notice a difference at the Central Park Rinks this winter. After buildings along Riverside Boulevard removed the Trump name from their buildings, two ice rinks in Central Park were some of the last remaining Trump branding in the city. But as skating began this year, the Trump name was seen covered over or replaced with a small footnote where there had previously been large red letters on the rink's walls. As the Washington Post reports, some of the signs have been amended with a small, operated by the Trump Organization, note at the bottom, while the skate rental counter simply hung a tarp to cover up the name Trump. According to the Parks Department, the change was unexpected and was the decision of the Trump Organization, which will still run the rinks, but voluntarily decided to downplay the branding for the first time since the 1980s. Although the rinks are still officially named the Woolman and Lasker rinks, the branding is a result of the Trump real estate companies aiding the city in completing the construction and renovation of the project in the 1980s. Skating at Woolman Rink is now open at 62nd Street and costs between $12 and $19, and skating at Lasker Rink at 110th Street opens on October 27th and costs $9. For a free option, head to Bryant Park or the Conservatory Water Pond on the east side of Central Park at 74th Street, where remote-control boats usually float during the summer, but free ice skating is available once the ice freezes thick enough. If you're not ready to get in the winter mood and go ice skating just yet, keep an eye on our listing of Halloween events in the city. Visit agreatbigcity.com slash Halloween and add these events to your calendar. Coming up on Saturday, October 26th, the Fort Greene Costume Contest for Dogs at 11 a.m. and the larger Fort Greene Halloween Festival from noon to 3 p.m. On Sunday, October 27th, the Halloween Dog Costume Contest in Riverside Park at 87th Street at noon. On Wednesday, October 30th, the Halloween Pumpkin Flotilla in Central Park's Harlem Mere at 110th Street at 4 p.m. And on Halloween, the Riverside Park Costume Parade at the Soldiers and Sailors Monument at 89th Street at 3 p.m. And the city's biggest party, the Village Halloween Parade at 7 p.m. along 6th Avenue in the West Village. Visit agreatbigcity.com slash Halloween for all the info. Sixteen years ago, on October 24, 2003, the Concorde makes its final commercial flight from JFK Airport to London, ending the era of supersonic travel. 
Before Concorde flights even began, the United States banned them from flying due to excessive noise and sonic booms they created when accelerating. By February 1977, the U.S. ban was lifted, but New York imposed its own ban. But by October 1977, that ban also fell, and jet roars and sonic booms began to sweep over the Rockaways for the next 26 years, where they set off car alarms, shook buildings, and sent residents to JFK Airport to protest. With low ridership after September 11th and a dwindling number of replacement parts available, Concorde service was discontinued by various air carriers during 2003. The final commercial flight out of JFK joined two other planes in London to ceremoniously land one after another at Heathrow Airport, bringing supersonic travel to an end. There would actually be another final Concorde flight out of JFK on November 5, 2003, when the aircraft, named GBOAG, which had performed the final commercial flight, returned to JFK and then left empty for Seattle, where it now resides in the Museum of Flight. The Concorde on display at the Intrepid Museum is model GBOAD and was the plane used on a record-setting transatlantic flight from New York to London on February 7, 1993, that crossed the ocean in just under three hours. Here's what the radio traffic sounded like from air traffic control as the final Concorde left JFK Airport. Canada ground, good morning. For the last time, Speedbird Concorde 2, IFR, London Heathrow, with Mike requesting a Canarsie climb. And Speedbird 2, I guess for the last time, we can give you that Canarsie climb. Speedbird 2, heavy clear to London Heathrow Airport. Kennedy 9 departure, Canarsie climb, radar vector ship. As filed, maintain 5,000, expect flight level 290, 10 minutes after. Squawk 1136, and Mike is the ATIS. Here at Concord 2, Mike 1136, thanks very much indeed. And if you could pass on to your colleagues um, two or three things. Firstly, in a perfect world, we'd like to be wheels rolling at 737 local. If we can get a clearance through 105 Alpha Direct, that'd be great. But more importantly, if you pass on to all your colleagues here, all the support, and, uh, and thanks for all the support and help you've given us over the years. Uh, Speedbird 2, on behalf of the uh, controllers in Kennedy Tower, in particular, we want to pass on to Captain Bannister. Uh, we hope you have a, a wonderful flight. And uh, over the years, it's been a privilege and an honor to uh, get to work you all every day in and out of JFK. And uh, you certainly will be missed. We hope you have a... Uh, a wonderful farewell flight, and uh, Godspeed, and we will be uh, wishing you all the best as you fly over to London. So long, Concord, and have a good flight. Thank you very much indeed. That's, that's very kind of you. We're going to miss you here at Kennedy. We're going to miss coming to New York. One year ago, on October 26, 2018, a suspect is taken into custody in Florida after mailing bombs to prominent critics of Donald Trump, including two to CNN's Columbus Circle headquarters and one to Robert De Niro in Tribeca. A total of 16 packages attributed to the would-be bomber were found across the country, all mailed to people and organizations featured in Trump rantings. The first package was discovered October 22nd at the upstate home of billionaire George Soros, and another, addressed to Hillary Clinton in Chappaqua, New York, was intercepted by the Secret Service on October 23rd. A package sent to former CIA Director John Brennan under the address of the CNN building 
caused a massive police response and the evacuation of the CNN building at Time Warner Center on Columbus Circle, while the device was safely removed and sent to the NYPD investigation facility in the Bronx. Other packages in the New York area were addressed to Robert De Niro in Tribeca, and another sent to CNN targeting former National Intelligence Director James Clapper. After examining the devices and the packaging, a fingerprint was found that led to Caesar Sayoc, a Florida man who was found living in a van plastered with right-wing rantings and images of Donald Trump. Stickers covering the van's windows featured some of the people targeted in the mail bombs, shown with crosshairs of a gun drawn on their photos. Sayoc had at least eight prior arrests and maintained an active Twitter account, spouting out right-wing conspiracies and posting photos of Sayoc's attendance at Trump rallies. On May 21, 2019, Sayoc pleaded guilty to 65 felonies and was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison. One hundred and fifteen years ago, on October twenty seventh, nineteen o four, the original twenty eight subway stations opened. The groundbreaking ceremony for the subway had been in March nineteen hundred, and after a few years of testing, the subway system was ready for the public. The stations opened in nineteen o four were along the modern day numbered lines, originally called the Interborough Rapid Transit or IRT lines and were built and operated by a private company that the city acquired in 1940. On opening day, the subway ran all the way from City Hall to 145th Street in Manhattan. Some of the major stations, Times Square, Grand Central, and Union Square, were among the oldest, and today are some of the busiest, so you probably use some of the original stops each time you take the subway in Manhattan. Much was made of the artistic details of the original stations, which included the beautiful but now unused City Hall station. The newspaper, The Sun, ran a special two-page spread titled, The Finest Subway in the World Opens This Week, showing illustrations of the stations and the infrastructure that made up the new subway. The artistic touches were seen as a deterrent to an overabundance of advertising. Here's an excerpt from that story in The Sun. Quote, Each station has its own special artistic touches. There's no room, for instance, for the work of the poster man amid the picturesque arches and varicolored ornamental bricks of the City Hall station, and it will hardly be proposed to hide the Spanish caravels at Columbus Circle beneath the Strength Company's breakfast food. Unquote. The subway kept expanding year after year and fueled a period of rapid growth as the city became more interconnected and expanded the opportunities for residents to reach across the city and easily travel farther than before. Fifty-six years ago, on October 28, 1963, demolition begins at Penn Station, raising all the above-ground structures to make way for Madison Square Garden, despite outcry from architects and the public. The demolition of the ornate eight-acre site led to the passage of a City Landmarks Preservation Act just two years later that aimed to prevent other historic sites from being lost without proper oversight. Although the loss of Old Penn Station is generally seen as tragic, the reality at the time was that the massive building had become too expensive to maintain as rail profits decreased, which led to parts of the building being hastily repaired over the years and some areas blocked off from public access. Relinquishing the rights to the above-ground station came with the promise of a new underground station at no cost to the railroad operators. 
It was the City Landmarks Preservation Commission, formed as a result of the demolition, that would save Grand Central Terminal from a similar fate just two years later. In an effort to recreate the splendor of the original Penn Station, Amtrak is now redeveloping a part of the nearby post office into Moynihan Station, an open-air train station that will have a skylight nearly the size of Grand Central's main ceiling. The new construction will serve as Amtrak and Long Island Railroad customers and is expected to be completed in 2021. And seven years ago, on October 29, 2012, Hurricane Sandy hits New York City, causing a five-day blackout across downtown Manhattan and damage to infrastructure across the city on Long Island and in New Jersey. The high winds and rain were only slightly more serious than a thunderstorm, but the amount of water that the storm pushed in from the ocean caused widespread flooding. In Manhattan, a power station in the East Village was inundated and the power systems failed, causing a widespread power outage downtown, knocking out streetlights and traffic signals. Even in the middle of Midtown, the storm caused thousands of evacuations when a construction crane at the 1,005-foot-tall 157 building partially collapsed near the top of the building, causing nearby buildings and hotels to be evacuated in the middle of the storm. Citywide, the number of customers without power was in the millions. The worst destruction occurred when damage from the storm started a fire at Breezy Point in Queens that quickly spread throughout the neighborhood, burning down 111 homes. In the subway, floodwaters swept through the below-ground tunnels, and salty water from the ocean caused corrosion to critical components. Repairs to subway infrastructure are still projected to last through 2019. Coming up next on the Great Big City. This woman bought what she thought was a watermelon, but you won't believe what happened next. <clears throat> Coming up. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? I said no already. Coming up next. Homeowners in Oswego, New York can't believe this one weird trick. Other news websites are quick to trick their readers with clickbait headlines and undercover ads, but a great big city is dedicated to keeping the news straightforward and factual. If a great big city has kept you informed over the years, make a contribution at agreatbigcity.com support. And if you're a local business, visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? Oh, not again. Park of the Day. Dunbar Playground in the Bronx. This playground honors Paul Dunbar, who lived from 1872 to 1906, an accomplished and prolific African-American poet. A popular and respected figure in Dayton, Ohio's Central High School community, Dunbar served as editor-in-chief of his school newspaper, president of the Literary Society, and received praise for his poetry. Upon completion of high school, Dunbar accepted a job working as an elevator operator where he attempted to sell his poetry to people who rode the elevator. Dunbar's works would go on to earn him national and international fame. Coming up in Parks events, this is the weekend for any kind of Halloween events. Coming up on Saturday, Halloween Fest 2019 at 11 a.m. in Bushwick Inlet Park, a Halloween pet costume party in Jackie Robinson Park at noon, at Fort Totten in Queens, a Halloween festival begins at noon. The 40th annual Halloween Haunted Walk and Fair is this Saturday in Prospect Park 
Halloween Harvest Festival at Socrates Sculpture Park in Astoria. The movie Beetlejuice will be shown for free at Bushwick Inlet Park beginning at 6 p.m. And on Sunday, October the 27th, Madison Square Park has their Halloween dog costume contest. Van Cortland Park in the Bronx has their pet costume contest. Riverside Park holds their Halloween costume party for pets. And on October 31st, there will be a glow-in-the-dark pumpkin painting party at the Asser Levy Recreation Center in Manhattan. Visit the links in the show notes for complete details and times and locations. Now let's see what our robot friend has scared up for this week on the concert calendar. This is the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Jukebox the Ghost is playing Webster Hall on Saturday, October 26. 999, Blank Spots, The Bobby Lees, and The Clap are playing Coney Island Baby on Saturday, October 26. Russian Circles and Wintant are playing The Warsaw on Saturday, October 26. Power 105.1's Powerhouse with Migos, Meek Mill, A Boogie Witta Hoodie and more are playing Prudential Center on Saturday, October 26 at 7 p.m. Real Clothes is playing Rose Gold on Sunday, October 27. Bad Bunny is playing Prudential Center on Sunday, October 27 at 7 p.m. Still Woozy is playing Webster Hall on Sunday, October 27 at 8 p.m. Ingrid Michaelson is playing Webster Hall on Monday, October 28. Melanie Martinez with Lauren Ruth Ward is playing the Hammerstein Ballroom on Tuesday, October 29 at 8 p.m. Trey Anastasio is playing Carnegie Hall's Stern Auditorium on Tuesday, October 29 at 8 p.m. Wolf Eyes and Pharmacon are playing Brooklyn Bazaar on Wednesday, October 30th. Trampled by Turtles and Spirit Family Reunion are playing Brooklyn Bowl on Wednesday, October 30th. Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band is playing Madison Square Garden on Wednesday, October 30th at 7 p.m. Ex-Ambassadors are playing Terminal 5 on Wednesday, October 30th at 7 p.m. Pink Martini is playing Beacon Theater on Wednesday, October 30th at 8 p.m. Slater Kinney is playing Manhattan Center Hammerstein Ballroom on Thursday, October 31st. Beach Fossils, Lion Limb, and The Life are playing The Dance NYC on Thursday, October 31st. And The Flatbush Zombies are playing Brooklyn Steel on Thursday, October 31st at 8 p.m. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. The current Times Square New Year's Eve ball weighs 11,875 pounds, about as much as three of the original checker cabs. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history. A record high of 83 degrees back in 1919 and a record low of 28 degrees in 1936. Weather for the week ahead, rain on Sunday through next Thursday, with temperatures falling to 58 degrees next Thursday. So it may be a bit of a cold Halloween. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City 
or email contact at agreatbigcity.com with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Player FM, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Our intro and outro music is Start the Day by Lee Rosefear, and the concert calendar music is from jukedeck.com. Thanks for being part of a great big city. Contact New York departure, so on. Paper two to departure, good day, Samuel, so long.